a family of God here. You know, saints, it's a great joy to be here to worship the Lord together with you. You know, on-site worship services is a treat nowadays. So whenever I have a chance for, conf for confirmation service, obviously on-site, right? So all these happy days. Well, this evening, what I'd like to share with you, I'd like to unpack for you from Exodus 32. Right? So if you were to turn your Bibles with me to Exodus 32, uh, 1 to 14, that's the text. And uh, the sermon title, if you like, is Idolatry Unmasked. In the, in the COVID setting, the word mask and unmasked means many things. Right? Idolatry unmasked. But, you know, idolatry unmasked is a way of seeing a subject which may be titled as Worship Explained or Worship Revealed. Right. You know, idolatry is a very, very serious problem. The reason why idolatry is a very serious problem because it is, a, it is seen against the one and only being who deserves the worship of humanity. You know, you and I were created by God. And worship, now when I use the word worship, I mean worship as defined by the Bible. Worship is God's inalienable right. Worship belongs to God and God alone. Anytime that right that belongs to God is tampered with, was mutilated, we've got a problem. Idolatry is the devil's way of striking at God. Now, Exodus 32, the passage in Exodus 32 unpacks deeply for us what idolatry is like. And uh, this text, as we look at it carefully, my prayer is that God will reveal something into our heart for us. Why? Because we cannot assume that just because uh, just because we say we worship God, right? It is acceptable worship, right? There's such a thing as worship that God rejects, right? In the in, in, in the gospel reading just now that we had, uh, God rejected that form of worship, right? Your mouth is one thing, but your heart is in a different direction, right? Uh, in fact, uh, in Hebrews 12, 28, the scripture goes like this, because we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us therefore, with gratefulness, offer to God acceptable worship. Now, the fact the scripture says acceptable worship means that, such a, means that there is such, such a thing as unacceptable worship. And so this evening, what I want to do 
is to bring us through scripture to understand, to catch a glimpse of what acceptable worship is like. But by looking at the other way, by looking at this problem of idolatry as recorded in Exodus 32, right? We ask a very simple question, right? And the question is this. Was the Exodus 32 apostasy, right? Was it an attempt to abandon God and replace him with a golden calf, with a toy, right? Now, I know uh, some of you who have grown up in Sunday school, uh, you, you may be told, you, you may have been told that, well, you know, the, the people in Egypt, or the, 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 the people in Egypt worship cows, a cow, right? They have a god that looks like a cow, and so the Israelis, the Israelites simply follow along, right? And they basically uh, wanted to, well, change God, so to speak. But if you look at the text carefully, Exodus 32 carefully, the answer is a resounding no. It's a resounding no. Okay? How do I know? Well, we, we, we need to look at the text, right? You look at the text in Exodus 32 and verse 1. Now, the story, the account is very simple. Moses was asked by God to go up to the mountain to collect a hard copy, right, of the commandments. God had earlier spoken to them. Now he wants to give to Moses a copy, right? And he asked Moses to come up. Moses went on the mountain. And then, as often happens, when somebody or when we are into divine encounter, right? It's no longer our agenda. Right? If it's our agenda, no divine encounter. Right? And so Moses went up, he delayed. And the people said to one another, hey, this fella, how come it's up two days? It's actually just a half a day to go up and count down, right? He's been up for a long while. Let's do something. And so they went to the second in command, right? Aaron, and told Aaron, Aaron, please do something, right? Please do something. What did ask Aaron to do? Let's look at the second part of uh, verse 1, right? Exodus 32, verse 1, it says, say to Aaron, up, make us gods. Who shall go before us? Now, look at the text carefully. Make us gods. Plural, right? In verse 4 and verse 8, it's the same thing, right? Uh, when they make this golden calf, uh, Aaron said to them, these are your gods. How many golden calves did they make? One. How come Aaron forgot his grammar? Gods. Well, no. Some say, hey, you know your Bible, huh? can't even get grammar correct, man. How can Bible be inspired if you cannot get a grammar correct? Well, the Bible is as accurate as it is, right? The reason why we have the, why the, why the, uh, why the good translation would not change it and say and make God is simply because in the original text, the word plural, the, the, the word for God is in plural form. Now, let me explain. In Hebrew, whenever you pluralize a word, okay, when you put a word in its plural, uh, you put im at the back. Right? In English, you put s. Right? Uh, but in Hebrew, it's im. So, for example, if you go to Israel, you visit 
a collective farming area, one kibbutz, many kibbutzim, right? Hebrew for God is Eloah. Eloah. And plural, Elohim. Elohim. So Moses or the, the people told Aaron, make us Elohim, right? Now, Elohim is the most famous word in the Old Testament. And it is always translated as God, capital G-O-D, except in some circumstances where it is translated as God's, like over here. So, for example, the most famous form, the most famous, the, the most famous usage of Elohim is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. How many gods? Well, one, but the word is Elohim. Gods, but nobody translates the Bible as Elohim. In the beginning, gods created the heavens and the earth. Why? Because by looking at the rest of the Bible, we know God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Right? So did the people, when Aaron was asked to make Elohim, he was asked to make the same God that they had been talking about for the longest time. God, G-O-D, capitalized, if we use English, right? Now, the other clue, which we know that the people were not in the business of wanting to change a God, right, is found in verse 4 and 5. Right? In verse 4 and 5, after they may have made the animal, right, in verse 4 and 5, it says like this. Let me read that for you. It says, And he received the gold from the hand and fashioned it with an engraving, with a graving tool and made a golden calf, one. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, when he saw that creature that was made, he made an altar, right? He made an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Right? Now you notice the word the Lord, the word Lord is capitalized. Right? The reason why it's capitalized is because it's a way to translate a Hebrew word. Right? The Hebrew word in English will be Y-H-W-H. Right? And because in Hebrew, uh, there are no vowels. Uh, in English, we put vowels in between. Sometimes we use the word Jehovah. Right? Or sometimes we use the word Yahweh. Right? This are your God, or to, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. When God revealed himself to people, to, to Abraham, when he, when he revealed himself to Moses, he says to them, I am the Lord. Right? It is almost like it is God's name card. Right? If God has a name card, it will, it will be this, the Lord. So, by looking at this evidence, we know for sure that the people were not in the business of wanting to change God. Right? So, idolatry is not changing God. Right? So, what is idolatry? Right? What does idolatry look like? Right? Number one, 
Idolatry is not just the worship of what is not God. I mean, this is straightforward, right? Now, before I, came, before I became a follower of Jesus Christ, I, I, I began, uh, I was called by God to follow Him when I was about 17 or thereabouts, right? Before that, I was an idol worshipper. My family, everybody worship idols, right? Because we are Chinese, what? So Chinese, we all have so many gods, right? At home, we've got so many. Not enough, we've got temples more, right? And then my family was, they were, my family was quite religious. Uh, I use Hokkien, when I say, people are, you know, on the first day and on the 15th day of the month, we, we get extra, right? You go to the temple, right? You do extra, right? So I was an idolater, right? That's a simple form of, of idolatry. But the Exodus 32 passage is a very sophisticated form of, idol, of idolatry because it is the false worship of the true and living God. And may I suggest to you, this is the big problem in the church. We worship so-called God, but we're idolatrous, right? So idolatry is not simply the worship of what is not God. It is the false worship of the true and living God. Very important for us to understand this, right? So that, so that we may know how to worship God. And by the way, the only way by which we may know how to worship God acceptably is by Holy Scripture. It's to learn from Holy Scripture on how we worship God. Number two, idolatry is but a cheapskate imitation. Cheap imitation, right? I tell people, you know, the golden calf worship is cheapskate worship. Now, I know I tell people golden calf worship, cheapskate worship, somebody say, hey, yeah, be sure you don't know, like you... It must be, you, you religious people don't know, huh? gold is very expensive. You religious people don't know that gold is expensive, right? Of course I know that gold is expensive. Of course, right? Everybody knows that gold is expensive. But let me explain why it was cheapskate worship, right? So when the guys, when the people told Aaron, Aaron, make us something, right? What did Aaron tell them? Take out from your earring. Now I know some of you here wear earrings and so on. Your earring, your golden earring, is a very small part of your total your jewelry. Small piece, take and throw, right? So I, I would think that you know uh, Aaron might put a big piece of canvas. He will take, throw, take, throw, take, throw. It's loose change. It's loose change, right? Compared to other things, I will I will go back uh, to that. Uh, in further details later on. But worst of all, and the most dangerous part is this, third point, right? That idolatry is utterly displeasing to God. Scripture here says that God wanted to kill all the Israelites. Hey, there were a million, more than a million of them who got out from Egypt. No? God wanted to kill all of them, and he told Moses, Moses, let me tell you, okay, I killed all of them, let me start afresh from you. Was it possible? Of course. Because God started with Abraham. So no reason why he cannot delay, 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 and start and restart with a guy called Moses. Right? But Moses pleaded with God, and out of Moses' intercession, 
God changed his mind. But the fact is this, God wanted to destroy the people. And if not for Moses' intercession, I believe God would have done it, right? Because God is a consuming fire. Now, I remember, I, whenever I use the term, God is a consuming fire, many people are uncomfortable. You say, hey, please don't talk like that, eh? right? Don't talk, don't think Old Testament, lah. you know, we've got New Testament, wow, God of grace, what? Pause over here, let me say this, huh? By the way, I don't, I don't know, I do not, okay? I, mentally, I do not distinguish my Bible as Old Testament and New Testament, okay? That's not, that's, 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 that's not how I distinguish the Bible, okay? I tell you how I distinguish the Bible, okay? I tell people, I use the same Bible that Jesus used. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you use, you use the same Bible, right? What is the Bible that Jesus used? We call it Old Testament, right? The Jews will call it the Hebrew Bible, right? Then what about the New Testament? Oh, for me, New Testament is very easy. For me, New Testament is the divine commentary. Not just normal commentary, yeah? Because the commentary that we all use in seminary, yeah? not very up to the great line. But New Testament, divine commentary, right? On par with the Bible, right? What is divine? Hebrews 12, 28, which I've quoted, now, this, this is probably the second time now, right? Because we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us therefore with great fullness offer to God acceptable worship. And then verse 29, for God is a consuming fire. Old, New Testament, right? So we, we don't distinguish whether Old Testament or New Testament, the fact of the matter is this, God is a consuming fire. Now, if God, if we do not, do, if we do not relate to God, the way Scripture speaks about Him, that God is a consuming fire, actually we cannot. Actually, we cannot truly worship God. In fact, I tell people, without the fear of God, there is no true worship of God. One of the problems with contemporary Christianity, clappy, clappy Christianity, is that we have made God in our own midst. Okay, move on. So what does true worship look like? Right? I told you, false worship looks like this. True worship, well, you, 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 you will have guessed that true worship is costly. Right? Compare the loose change offering to make the golden calf and the costly giving to construct the tabernacle. Right? In Exodus 35, let me quote that for you. It's on screen. Right? So after when God told Moses to make this tabernacle that will follow them in their journey, right? And he told the people, he told uh, Moses, go and ask the people, whoever want to give, contribute with a willing heart, you can contribute to this, right? And so he says, so they came, right? In Exodus 35, 22, so they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart brought brooches. I think must be a bit bigger than rings, huh? Earrings, okay, same lah. They got maybe got they got extra earrings, right? Maybe many pairs, and signal rings, and the best of all, armlets. Now, armlets definitely bigger than earrings, huh? All sort of gold objects. Every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. Compare the uh, golden calf and the tabernacle. My point is this: true worship of God is always 
costly. Now, I don't have time to unpack this for you. But human beings, by and large, we do not know how to give to God. We do not know how to give. And so God got to do something for us. Do a spiritual operation for us, right? And the spiritual operation is called the tithe and fuel offering. I got no time to unpack this for you. If I, if I, if I unpack this for you, you guys will be here until 8 o'clock tonight, right? If uh, your pastor buy me lunch, I will maybe come and teach you one day. Right? But the fact is this. True worship is always costly. Right? It's always costly. Maybe, you know, maybe I just give you the, 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 the example of the woman who came to Jesus and broke a bottle of expensive perfume. Now, many of you will know the story. And when she broke the perfume, she said, hey, this is 300 denarii. This, is, this costs one year's salary, you know. Why waste, right? And they begin to reprimand that lady. And Jesus had to tell them, hey, guys, you guys shut up, okay? You guys don't know what you're talking about. She has anointed me for a barrier. Every time when the gospel is preached, they will talk about her, right? She gave sacrificially. Move on. True worship is anchored upon the Word of God. Now, I really got no time to unpack this. You look at the text, Exodus 25, 8 to 9. You know, God told Moses, now this is how you have to build a tabernacle. This is a pattern. And the key word is this. Exactly as I told you, this is what you must do. Exactly, 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 exactly. Now, friends, you know what's one of the big problems in the church today? That our worship of God is not shaped by Holy Scripture. I'm very shy to say this, huh? I think part of the problem uh, is also the pastors. Because sometimes we are afraid to talk like this. Our worship of God today is shaped more by our music instruments, our sound systems, nice tunes, and everything else except Holy Scripture. Last week I was at the service and I nearly died. Somebody says, you know, today we cannot have live worship. What he means, he cannot sing. Lah. I tell myself, oh, then what's the opposite of life worship? It must be dead worship. Or candle worship. Now, when words, okay, when you have words like this that collide, it shows that something is wrong with our thinking. Right? Let me move on. But I'm going to say this. True worship of God is always anchored. Okay, it's always anchored upon Holy Scripture. You must search the Scripture and allow the Scripture to speak to us. By the way, there are, four, there are four Hebrew words and five different Greek words that are translated as worship, right? And, it's, it, uh, you know, and that's, it's, it's a big thing, right? Now, thirdly, true and acceptable worship of God is always characterized by reverence and awe towards God, right? I say that a lot already. I'm not going to elaborate now, right? My point is this, and I think what Scripture says is this, we cannot worship God truly, right, without that sense of awe and reverence. Let me just bring you one example. You remember when the Magi, not three of them, huh? we, always, we, always, we always think three Magi, three wise men. No, no, no. Scripture says, and wise men, right? It's a big entourage. It could be five, it could be three, right? It, can, it could be two, maybe, but I think it's a large entourage. Although we always, we always think of three wise men, but it's more. I mean, there's, 
the, the, the song has affected our theology, unfortunately. Right? So the scripture tells us that this why this man, they were looking for this Jesus. Right? And this Jesus, in all likelihood, was by the time they came to him, to see him, he was no longer a baby. Right? He was an infant because Herod killed all the children two years and under. Right? So maybe he would be about two years old. Right? He was standing, obviously, two years old. Maybe he was walking around. Right? Can you imagine the scene? And the scripture says very clearly, when they saw Jesus, this man who were big men, adults, who were important people, right, who were protected by the entourage, because in those, in those days, you don't travel, right, your safety depends on your entourage. They saw this little child, two years old, and the scripture says, and they fell down before him. They fall flat before him, and they worship him. True worship is always, right, is always characterized by reverence and awe towards God. Let me move on, bringing to a quick conclusion, idolatry. Is it a problem? I'm going to say to you, idolatry is, uh, is still a problem. Now, idolatry, like I say, is not just the worship of what is not God, right? Idolatry essentially is the giving of our lives, right? Giving of our lives to something that is not God. Now, Paul used the phrase, covetousness is idolatry, right? It's worth a while for us to think about it. In fact, there's a very thick book, a huh? 300-page book called Covetousness is Idolatry. So it's a thick book, right? And, uh, you know, what is covetousness? Covetousness, unfortunately, is the favorite part-time or favorite pastime of quite a few Singaporeans. And that is the acquisition of more and more. More and more. Right? I don't, I don't have time to unpack this for you, but I suggest you go into Scripture and listen and read what Scripture speaks about idolatry. Right? Not just, what is, what, not just the worship of what is not God, not just the false worship of the true and living God, but also the giving of our lives right, to something that grips us. By the way, a computer game uh, can be idolatry, yeah? Right? Idolatry Singapore style. Now, it gives me no pleasure to say this. In fact, I feel very painful, sad to have to talk like this, right? I believe, unfortunately for us in Singapore, one of the chief exporters of idolatry is this man called Joseph Prince. Note, I don't use the word pastor when I describe him. Because pastor shouldn't talk like that. Right? I quote him verbatim. He says, You will never find an example of God punishing a believer for his sins in the new covenant. Now basically, Joseph Ring pushes a storyline of God loves you so much. He loves you so much, he, it is impossible for him to punish you. So long as you believe that he loves you so much, there's no way he will punish you, right? 
you will never find an example of God punishing a believer for his sin in the new covenant. Now, friends, let me ask you a question. Is this true or not true? Obviously, it's not true. If you read the scripture, you know there's a fellow called Ananias and Sapphira, right? Don't come and tell me, oh, they, they are not Christians. You know, they were da 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 da. The great danger of following a person like Joseph Prince is this. You are led into believing that you are truly worshipping God. Actually, you are worshipping a Jesus of his own making. And the Jesus of his own of, of Joseph Prince's making is idolatry. What is your worship of God like? Is it shaped by costliness and sacrifice? Remember, the one whom we bless, the one whom we sing to, died for us upon the cross. Abba Father gave what no one else could give, his own beloved son. By the way, I've got four grandsons. Okay, I don't talk about sons anymore because adults are. I've got four grandsons, right? They are worth, in my, esteem, in, in my view, more than anything in the world. Right? When the father sent his son to die upon the cross for us, it was ultimate sacrifice. Secondly, it's your worship of God anchored upon the word of God. Let me say this, my friends. Make time for the word of God. Allow the word of God to rule your heart. Memorize Holy Scripture. Think a lot about Holy Scripture and allow Scripture to shape your worship life, the whole of your life, right? Finally, is your worship of God, is our worship of God shaped by reverence and awe of God? And here I have a parallel question and the parallel question is this. When was the last time you knelt in the presence of God. By the way, uh, kneeling now in church, not count. Uh, because in church, you say, hey, the, the pastor says, let us kneel. Oh, God, kneel. Right. No, I'm talking about in your private, personal time with God. Private intimacy with God. Right. When only it's between you and God. Right. If never, if, if, if kneeling before God is not part of what you are in the worship of God, I suggest to you, it is very important, right? Because if God is truly God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the almighty, surely it is not improper to kneel before him. Let us pause and let me pray and then I hand the time back to your church uh, team. Father, thank you once again for your word. Thank you, God, that you love us so much that you send your son into our world that he may call us, Lord, that he call us to walk in your ways. So, Father, we ask, God, that you will find in each one of us here sons and daughters who are after your heart, whose desire is to please you and you alone. Father, we ask this. 
in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.